The scripture today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. As you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel. While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But to the one who had told him this, Jesus replied, who are my mother, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my brother, mother and my brothers Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. This past week brought unimaginable violence and threats of violence. The incident in the synagogue yesterday was beyond belief. And the threats of the pipe bombs that were mailed to individuals and leaders of our country and former leaders leaves us all wondering to what are we becoming? Where are we headed? What does this mean? In the case of both of those who, per- who perpetrated these acts, what we know about them is that they were probably mentally ill. They also were suffering from extremism, from an us-against-them mentality, from an attitude of seeing others as something less than human, of seeing others as deserving of death and needing to die. And as we look around our country, as we look around the world today, it seems that in some ways we are reverting to a kind of tribalism, a kind of grouping of ourselves according to very narrowly defined interests and values and tastes. And we seem to be perpetually at odds with those who are different. And our political rhetoric is filled with that kind of animosity, that veiled violence even in our words. And we wonder, where are we going? What are we becoming? And these differences strike at the heart of something that is terribly wrong with our human family. We begin a series today on family. And family is the most natural kind of grouping there is. We live in families because we are attracted to one another, we want to be together, and we share a bond of kinship. 
And nothing is more basic than that, is it? Nothing more fundamental than to be with our own, to love our own. We don't have to be taught that. It just comes to us with our humanity. And that is good. It is as it should be. God has made us that way. God created family. And family is good. And it is in family that we begin to learn to love others for their own sake. And yet even family life can be complicated, can't it? Kathy Jorgensen told me just now that she spent the last couple of days decorating her house for Christmas. She's getting a jump on it. And sometimes after Thanksgiving, Nell and I will decorate our house, and this year we will not have an argument. You see, we now have a Christmas tree that has both multicolored lights and white lights. There is Christmas peace at last. (laughs) Because I like gaudy but beautiful multicolored lights. Nell likes elegant but boring white lights. (laughs) And back in the day when we had to make a decision between the two, this was the first of two disagreements that we would have every Christmas. The other disagreement was over how much money we would spend on gifts. And there is a relationship between the kind of lights you use and the expense of your gifts. (laughs) Because you see, color lights create feelings of festivity. And they make cheap gifts look better. (laughs) Plain lights require more expensive gifts. Otherwise, the tree looks dull. So now, thanks to the miracle of light-emitting emitting diodes, we both get what we want. If Nell turns on the the tree first, then we enjoy regular lights. If I get there first, we enjoy multicolored lights. And knowing that there is a possibility of colored lights, Nell is more willing to buy cheap gifts. And knowing this, I am more willing to pay more for expensive wrapping paper. And, you know, we could go on and we could speak of vacations and in-laws and driving habits and a multitude of other things about which taste and opinions differ, but, but you get the point. Family life is complicated. Sometimes it is downright contentious. It is a challenge to live in family because, as Nell is wont to say, relationships are always messy. If you don't remember anything else, remember that. Relationships are always messy. And we require so much of one another in families. These ties that bind us, they they are visceral. We are different people with a common legacy of love and life and flesh and bone. And it just seems that we ought to be able to get along. Families invite us to be ourselves, but then they expect us to be our best selves. 
And nowadays in the church, there are some who would say that structure is the solution to family struggles. They decry the collapse of the biblical traditional family by which they mean a husband, a wife, and two and a half children. And these well-meaning Christians uh, say that we should return to the biblical model of family life. And when I hear that, I can't help but wonder if they mean a model like that of the first biblical family, Adam and Eve. They lost their home in paradise. They blamed each other for that loss. They had two sons, one of whom murdered the other. Or maybe they're thinking about Abraham, who, when his wife was childless, had a baby by his wife's slave. Isaac wasn't so bad. He married one wife. Her name was Rebecca. She had, they had twins. And Rebecca loved one of the twins more than the other. And she helped one of them to cheat on the other so that the other one, the one who was cheated upon, hated the one who cheated and vowed to kill him. The cheating brother, of course, was Jacob. And Jacob ended up with two wives because on his wedding night with his first wife, he didn't even notice until morning that she was not the one he thought he had married. Not the most attentive of husbands, was he? (laughs) We could go on and on and speak of David and of his messed up bunch, but you get the point. The Bible is full of stories of dysfunctional families for whom structure did not provide a lot of stability. So I'm not sure structure is the answer. Then there is this account that we read this morning of the mother and the brothers of Jesus coming to see him standing outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone tells Jesus that they are there. And rather than inviting them in, he says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then pointing to the circle of disciples around him, he said, those who do the will of my father in heaven, these are my brothers and my sisters, and my mother. So what is going on here? Is Jesus denying his family? Is he disregarding them? Is he dismissing them? Well, we'll come back to that in a moment, but but let's focus for just a moment on what Jesus is clearly doing. He is clearly expanding the definition of what it means to be family. He is broadening the base of familial relationships. And he is insisting that anyone and everyone who does the will of his heavenly father are members of his family. Consider the implications of this. At its most primitive level, the family is defined as a biological or a social unit. Whether large or small families exist because people are drawn to live with one another, because they're kin to one another. And really, in this respect, human families are like a pride of lions, a pod of porpoises, or a covey of quail. Their instinct is to protect and to preserve, provide for one another. But Jesus insisted that family is more than this. That family is more than this because human beings are more than this. Life is more than survival. It is more than the preservation of a particular social unit or the perpetuation of our genetic material. We human beings are spiritual 
beings. We possess a capacity for transcendence. We are able to have a relationship with the God who creates, sustains, and calls us. We are aware of ourselves as selves. We know that we have value, purpose, and destiny. Deep down in our souls, we know that we are accountable to more than just our kin. We are accountable to our creator. So when Jesus defines family so expansively, he is really defining love expansively. Love is the binding energy of family life. Love makes us a family. Love brings us together. Love holds us in relationships with one another. It is the most natural thing in the world to love our own. And the materialist would say that that love is the crowning work of evolution. The evolutionist would say that love exists because it serves this very purpose. Love increases the odds that our species will survive. And this, according to the materialist, is finally why we love. But we believers, while we would not disagree that love serves this very important purpose, we would insist that there is more to love than this. We are bold to say that love is of God and that whoever loves knows God, and is born of God, for God is love. The love we feel for our loved ones is about more than chemistry or biology or evolutionary forces. We love because God first loved us. So that when Jesus speaks of his brothers and his sisters being those who do the will of his Father, he is placing us in that very privileged position of being God's children. See what love the Father has for us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. When Jesus teaches us to pray our Father, he is teaching us that God is finally the loving parent of us all. To do the will of our Father is to accept God's love as the most basic, the most binding force in fact, of our shared humanity. It is to recognize that our Heavenly Father loves you and loves me and loves every person on this planet. It is a reckless love. It is an overwhelming love. To do the will of our Father is to live out of this most extraordinary knowledge that God loves us all, each and every one of us. To see and to accept this most essential truth about ourselves is to do the will of our Father. It is to begin to see others as God sees them. It is to begin, finally, to love others as God loves them. And what if the man who walked in that synagogue could have really seen those worshipers 
as God sees them? What if the man who mailed the pipe bombs could have really seen those to whom he mailed them as God sees them? What if we could love as God loves? Of course, in saying this, Jesus is not dismissing or disregarding his mother or his brothers. The extraordinary truth of the incarnation is that Jesus is almighty God revealed to us in the life of a man who was born of a woman, reared by parents who belonged to a family. Jesus loved his family. As he died on a cross, he made provisions for his mother. Jesus treasured his relationship with his family. But he knew he understood from whom that love comes and to whom it reaches. He knew that the love that we have for our loved ones does not originate with us, but with God. And that the love God has for this world reaches to every person. The Lord would never have us dismiss our families. If our families are healthy, we learn to love being a part of the family. And if not everyone in the family is mature enough to love, then we love to learn, well, we learn to love them in spite of their immaturity. You see, we enjoy so much and we endure so much for the sake of love in our families. Jesus calls us to love our loved ones. He calls us to know that, that our love for them and their love for us has its origins in God. And that that love returns finally to God. Jesus calls us to celebrate the fact that love within families is not the end of love. It is only the beginning. The love of our Father extends to every person we meet. It extends to those whom we will never know. It extends to those whom we would call enemies. And the family of God is anything but a tribe. It is anything but an exclusive social unit. The true family of God is always extending to others. We do the will of our Father when we do whatever we can to actualize that love. So sometimes after Thanksgiving, Nell and I will put up our tree. We will not argue, at least not about the lights. And at some point, we will sit together with each other, and hopefully we will gather with family and with friends, and we will enjoy the multicolored lights and the lovely white lights. And we will feel the warmth, the peace, the joy of Christmas of God's coming to us in that ancient family of Mary Joseph and Jesus.
And if the deep truth of Jesus really dawns upon us, then we will love our loved ones all the more. And we will know that God's love does not stop there. But it extends outward to include all. This table is finally a sign of that. It is evidence of that reality. The words of the song are right. We cannot earn it. We do not deserve it. But here it is. See what love the Father has for us. That we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. As we gather around this table. We know from whence that love comes. And that, how that family is formed. For we are all invited to the table. Everyone is invited. There is no requirement for being here other than your acknowledgement of your need to be here. That's it. And it is grace. It is the body and blood of our Lord given for us as evidence of how much we are loved. Almighty God, we confess that often our love has been too narrowly defined. We have loved only those who look like us and think like us and talk like us and act like us. And sometimes, O oh Lord, even within our families, we have not loved as we should. Forgive us. Free us, Lord, for joyful obedience. Through Christ our Lord. And we give you thanks now for this holy mystery in which you give yourself for us. We pray, Lord, that as we remember that night when Jesus gave himself for others, how he took bread, broke it, blessed it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, these, take eat, this is my body, which is given for you. And then the cup in the same way saying, drink from this, all of you, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for their forgiveness of sins. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. We pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet.
through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, our Father, now and forever.